0: We're going to continue in our verse-by-verse study in Luke's Gospel. So if you'll turn to chapter 16 of Luke, the third book of the New Testament. And if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. And uh, we'll slip you a Bible so you can read with us in Luke chapter 16. As we've been traveling through Luke over the last several months. So now we are in chapter 16. We have gone as far as verse 19. And we do read that there was a certain rich man. Now, that's the way that the chapter started out. If you've been with us in our study of Luke chapter 16, that verse 1 says that there was a certain rich man, but this one, we read, he was clothed in purple and fine linen, fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was in verse 22 that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. So in this chapter, we have another story that Jesus tells his disciples that are listening to him. The religious leaders are listening in as well on Jesus' words. We know that from verse 14. And the chapter starts out with Jesus telling of a parable. Keep in mind that a parable means a story that comes alongside of a spiritual truth. Para means alongside of. And in that parable, the parable of the unjust steward, verse one, there was a certain rich man. And we covered that parable in detail as the rich man in that parable, in that story, he knew the importance of good stewardship relative to the future. Here in verse 19, this second rich man, we see a different perspective. Now, the question comes up as we're going to go through this story, the rich man and Lazarus. Is this a parable or is this an actual story? Because scholars and and commentators will say that this is a story because in all the parables that Jesus told, there are no names that are given. Such as in this story. And we have Lazarus that is named here. Others say, well, it's more of a parable. But as we travel through this parable slash story preserved in God's word, what can we take away from this story that will help us and benefit us and bless us as we consider the eternal things? There are a number of things that I believe that we're going to see that we can take away with us this morning as we move through the text. And in this story of the rich man who is not named, and then there is Lazarus. Lazarus, his name means God is my help. And we're told that this certain rich man, he's clothed in purple and fine linen, which means that he was very wealthy. He was royalty. He lived in luxury. Matter of fact, maybe if you have a modern translation with you, that's what it means when he fared sumptuously every day in verse 19. It literally means that, that he lived in luxury, uh, that he didn't have a care in the world. And Jesus, keep in mind as we travel through this story now, that he just got through addressing the religious leaders that derided him when he told that parable of the unjust steward. And Jesus would go on to say, after he told that parable, that no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and, and love the other, or else he'll be loyal to one and he'll despise the other. But you cannot serve God and mammon. And as they are listening to him, verse 14, the Pharisees who we are told by Dr. Luke, they were lovers of money. They derided him. They stuck up their nose at him. They snared him. They were not receiving from him at all. And so they were ones that were coveting. They were ones that made uh, priority in their lives, their their possessions, their riches, uh, their wealth. They thought they were blessed by God because of, uh, you know, their wealth. And, and that was a sign of God's blessing and approval. And Jesus says, God knows your heart. He knows that you guys are coveting, that you are prioritizing the riches in your life. So here these guys are listening in on Jesus as he is telling this story of a certain rich man who lived in luxury didn't have a care in the world and then there is Lazarus who laid at the rich man's gate and we are told of him that he's full of sores he was sick probably couldn't walk because he laid at his gate and this rich man obviously had no concept of stewardship unlike the first rich man mentioned in verse one of the chapter And what we see is that this rich man, if he did, if he had any thought to God, any thought to stewardship, he would have helped Lazarus. And the only attention that Lazarus receives was from the dogs licking his sores. And as I think about this story, though, I suspect that no one knew Lazarus' name. I doubt very much if the rich man came out and asked him his name or gave any attention to him. Probably didn't know his name or people passing by. But Jesus knows his name. And everybody probably knew the rich man's name. But it's not mentioned in the story. And you might be here this morning and you might be thinking, well, no one knows me. And people don't know my name. And people don't notice me and they don't care about me. And I want you to know that Jesus does. And even as we saw in the previous chapter, the heart of God towards us, how valuable we are to him, how important we are to him. You are so important to the Lord that that's why he came to die for you, that you might have relationship with the father that comes through Jesus Christ. And you may not be in the who's who of the world. None of us are in the who's who of the world, but we are ones that we are in the who's who of the kingdom of God. So in verse 21, Lazarus, his only friends are these dogs licking his sores. They are open sores, oozing. And he he longed for the crumbs that would be thrown on the floor. Now the crumbs, here's the thing to remember, that in those days they didn't use napkins. And what they would do is they would have bread at their meals. And the last piece of bread, they would take that piece of bread and they would wipe their hands with that piece of bread and then throw it on the floor. And this rich man, having servants, you have to assume, they would sweep it up and they would throw the crumbs out outside the gate. And that's why the dogs are hanging around. That's why they are there, because they would eat the crumbs. And here is Lazarus, that he is one, that his only friends are these dogs. Uh, licking his sores and he's longing for the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table and it is the same phraseology of what we see in the previous chapter in chapter 15 that the prodigal son remember him that he wanted his father's goods he goes to a far country he wasted his father's inheritance. On, on prodigal living Wasteful living And then he ends up working for somebody Where he's feeding the swine out in the field And he's so hungry That he Longed for the, 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 the Food that the swine were eating And he wasn't satisfied It's the same thing here That this one here That he's longing from the crumbs That fall from the rich man's table He's hungry, he's not satisfied The dogs are eating it And so Lazarus is in a very difficult situation and circumstances. But we read in verse 22, So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And I want us to notice something here that's very important. That both men died. Because every single one of us will die unless we're raptured. But we know what the scripture has to say. That as Moses even said in Psalm 90, teach us to number our days. David in the Psalms and James in his epistle writes about how our lives are but a vapor in comparison to eternity. It is only for a moment. And then we also know that it is accounted once for man to die. And then the judgment, every single one of us are going to face eternity. Every single one of us, our bodies are going to die. But here we see that even though they died, they continue living. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 2 declares that the rich and the poor have this in common, that the Lord is the maker of them all. One commentator said that death is a great leveler. Death will bring everyone on the same level that is standing before the Lord. In my years of ministry, I have done many funerals. And every funeral that I do, that I do for a believer, for somebody who has gone home to be with the Lord, I am so reminded of how beautiful and powerful the gospel of Jesus Christ is. And for the believer that passes on to heaven, precious in the sight of the Lord, is the death of his saints, as the psalmist writes. And to be able to say, even as Paul would write to the Corinthian believers, O death, where is your sting? You know, Hades, where is thy victory? It is interesting as we read here in verse 22 that the angels carried Lazarus to Abraham's bosom. It is the only time in the Bible that it indicates to us that the angels come and escort us. Is that the case? Well, I don't know with certainty, but I do know this with certainty. That we as believers... That the Bible tells us in Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And that's what I am looking forward to when I take my last breath. We as Christians, we should be looking forward to heaven. We should be looking forward to eternity. We're just pilgrims passing through. We don't belong to this world. We belong to the kingdom of God. And I am longing to see my Savior, to be with him for all eternity. And as Jude says, to be presented faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. Yes, angels are cool. But Jesus is who I ultimately want to see. Now, as we see that Lazarus, as he dies, he goes to this place, Abraham's bosom. He goes to paradise. He is escorted by the angels. Contrast that with the rich man. He probably had a huge funeral, hired mourners. That's what they would do in these days. They would hire these mourners that would, you know, come along and and they would mourn and, and make this scene. We know that he had five brothers, this rich man. I imagine they are there, that they are there when he is buried. But he is taken into notice torments in Hades. Now, he is not in Hades because he was rich. It wasn't because he didn't help Lazarus. It was because he didn't believe. He gave no thought to God in his life. Because Abraham in the book of Genesis, he was very wealthy. But he's the father of faith. In other words, in Genesis chapter 15 verse 6, he believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So this is not a story telling us that rich people go to hell and poor people go to heaven. Keep this in the context of the chapter, that there is a future and who you put your faith in, that is Jesus Christ. And what you believe as you embrace the gospel, as you live for him, is going to show in how you live and how you are going to use what has been entrusted to you. And obviously this rich man, in the story, he only lived for himself. He gave no thanks to God. He gave no thought to God. He gave no thought to others. And he didn't believe. And both of them end up dying. And Lazarus ends up in Abraham's bosom. The rich man in Hades or that place of torment. Now, a couple things that this narrative right away dismisses. One of is the doctrine of soul sleep. I don't know if you ever had anybody come and try to tell you that when we die, that our spirit sleeps until the rapture of the church. And what they'll do is they'll point to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when Paul is writing about the resurrection. Keep in mind that the resurrection is that uh, time when the trumpet blows at the time of the rapture of the church, when our bodies are going to be resurrected. When our bodies that which is corrupt will be raised incorruptible that which is mortal into immortality and we're going to get new heavenly bodies. So the resurrection is the subject that speaks about that we live in eternity in new heavenly bodies because our bodies wear out, will be put into the ground or cremated. And then at the sound of the trumpet, in the twinkling of an eye, we shall all be changed, as it says, will be resurrected. And we will have the new celestial bodies, as Paul writes in that chapter, or heavenly bodies that will never wear out, that will be good for all eternity. So as Paul writes about that, we shall not all sleep. He's not talking about our spirit. He's talking about our bodies. And again, to remind you of this, that Paul very clearly it says that to be absent from the body is what? To be present with the Lord. You remember that Paul, when he was writing to the Philippian believers in his first imprisonment, he's in Rome. He's writing to them. He doesn't know what's going to happen when he stands before Caesar Nero. He doesn't know if he's going to be put to death or what the case is going to be, but he's trusting in the Lord. And he says to the believers that my chains are for the furtherance of the gospel. Don't be concerned about me. It's evident in the palace guards. In other words, a lot of those guards were getting saved that were chained to Paul the apostle. And he goes on and he says, I don't know which one I really want. I know for me to die is gain. To go home to be with the Lord is what he's saying. And and for me to stay here is better for you. But Paul did not say for me to die is gain. He's not saying that if I die, I'm going to go into soul sleep for 2,000 years. He knows he's going to go on to be with the Lord. We know that in, on Good Friday, the account of the crucifixion that we read, where that thief next to Jesus would cry out to him, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. What was the response of Jesus? Jesus' response was, before the sun has set, you'll be with me in paradise. He didn't say, well, eventually you'll get there in a couple thousand years, but your soul's going to go to sleep. So that doctrine of soul sleep is not scriptural whatsoever. Plus... We know that there are those in the church and it seems to be growing a little bit in the church and very popular reads with particularly younger Christians is that, first of all, there is no hell. There is no eternal punishment or there's what is called annihilation, that those who are unbelievers will just cease to exist is what is going to happen. And the Bible doesn't talk about that at all. Both of these guys are very much alive. And all of us are going to pass on into eternity. The question is, where are you going? So here they go to Hades. There's two compartments in Hades that we're going to talk about specifically in just a little bit. But Hades is always translated hell. It is used 11 times in the New Testament. And out of those 11 times we read uh, the word Hades, eight of those times, it comes from the lips of Jesus. There is another term, Gehenna which is a reference to the lake of fire, which burns for eternity. It is used 12 times in the New Testament, 11 times from the lips of Jesus. Now, it seems to indicate, as we put the whole of Scripture together, that this place, Hades, again, there is a place of torment, uh, of the unrighteous that will be there. And then there is also the other side here, That where the believers went called Abraham's bosom that we're going to talk about in just a little bit. But this side of the place of torment, a place where unbelievers go until, as we read in the book of Revelation chapter 20, the second resurrection, where the unrighteous dead will be resurrected and stand before the great white throne judgment. And then they will be cast into Gehenna or the lake of fire. Let me read it to you. You can listen, make reference to it. But here is John is writing after the millennium reign of Jesus Christ, after that thousand year reign of of Jesus on the earth, ruling and reigning. And as we rule and reign with him, then the heavens and the earth, as we now know it, are going to dissolve. He, he writes about that here as we read in verse 11 of chapter 20 of Revelation. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. Peter, he writes in his epistle when this happens that the heavens and earth that we now know are going to go up in a fervent heat. It's like a huge nuclear reaction. And then we see that those of the unrighteous dead in this place of torment will be resurrected, and they will stand before the great white throne judgment. I'll continue reading in verse 12 of Revelation 20. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And the books were open. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works." And then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So we see here that the great white throne judgment is very real. Where the unrighteous are going to stand before. We as believers will not stand at the great white throne judgment seat. Praise God. Because Jesus took the judgment for us at Calvary's cross. And as we have discussed in the course of going through this, this chapter here of Luke chapter 16, that you and I as believers, that we are going to stand before the Bema reward seat of Christ that is spoken of in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, to not be judged for our sins, but to receive rewards, what we have done in the body, whether good or bad. And we know that as we stand at the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ, our works are going to be tried by fire. 1 Corinthians chapter three and our works are going to be likened to wood, hay and stubble that instantly is going to burn up or it's going to be likened to precious metals, gold and silver and precious metals. And so we what we do in this life, that was the first part of the chapter where we talked about being good stewards of what has been given to us because there are rewards to be given to you and to me and how we were good stewards and what has been entrusted to us in eternity when we stand at the Bema reward seat of Jesus Christ. So very important lessons that we are learning about eternity. And so the unbelievers will stand at the great white throne judgment at the end of the millennium reign of Jesus Christ. Also, I wanna remind you that in the New Testament, we read the word abyss. It's the Greek word abuso. Uh, The scriptures translate it the bottomless pit. The only place where you can have a bottomless pit is in the center of a sphere, of a circle, the center of the earth, because every way is up. That is mentioned nine times in the Bible, eight times from the lips of Jesus. Now, you might recall that, remember the story of Jesus when he got into that boat, and he went to the east side of the Sea of Galilee to the area of Gadara. And there he met a man who was demon-possessed, full of demons, and, and the demons would say, don't cast us into the abyss. So apparently this bottomless pit where demons are at. We also know from the Old Testament that you have the Hebrew word sheol, which is used 65 times. It is in reference or synonymous with, I think, Hades. It is more of a, a general term, it seems, a reference to the unseen world. But I want to say this and point this out that the 32 times in the New Testament where that term Hades or Gehenna or bottomless pit is used, out of those 32 references, 27 of them come from the lips of Jesus. We hear more from Jesus about the eternal state of the lost than anyone. Jesus, the one who is eternal, comes from eternity. Steps into time to pay the price for our sins so we don't have to spend eternity separate from God, that we don't have to spend time in this eternal place of torment. Notice that that word torment is used four times in this story. So Jesus, I believe, has given us insight into Hades. That this rich man, we're told, being in torments in Hades, and then Lazarus in Abraham's bosom, the rich man lifted up his eyes and saw Lazarus. Now people will ask me, will we know each other in heaven? A reference you can write down in your notes that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. He writes, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. Uh, I think that Paul is telling us that we are going to know each other in heaven. Of, of course we are. Uh, I don't think we're going to be more dumb in heaven than we are here, so we are going to know each other in heaven. And here, even though the rich man is in the place of the unrighteous, in a place of torment, he looks across this, this big gulf that's between the two into Abraham's bosom, paradise. He recognizes both Lazarus and Abraham, and we continue reading as the rich man, he cried out and said in verse 24, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, and likewise Lazarus, evil things. But now there." Um, He is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. So the rich man cries out, have mercy on me, Father Abraham. Here's the thing to remember. That God's mercy and grace is available to us now. But after we die, then comes the judgment. God's mercy ends. And if you are here and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, his incredible provision has been made for you for forgiveness and eternal life, to have right relationship with the Father that only comes through Jesus. His mercy and grace and love has been extended to you for you to receive him. To be forgiven. To have the hope of heaven, right relationship with the Father that only comes through Jesus Christ. To be a new person, born again by the Spirit of God. Now is the time of His grace and mercy extended to you. But after you die, that ends. And the Hades here is divided up into two compartments. There on the one side, the place of torment of those who have rejected the gospel. Then there's a great gulf. And then the other side of the gulf is Abraham's bosom, also called paradise. Those who believed in the Lord, it was accounted to them for righteousness. Now, before the cross, when a believer died in faith, when they would go to Hades on this side of paradise, Abraham's bosom, those who did not believe were not lovers of God went to that place of torment. There's a great gulf, as we were told, between the two. But evidently, they could call out to each other. Abraham was there. It was called Abraham's bosom because he would be welcoming them. He's the father of faith. Moses was told at the end of his life that when when the Lord was going to, to end his life, that he would be gathered to his people. So the thief being told, remember, as I've already made reference to, that you'll be with me, Jesus said to him, before the sun has said in paradise. Jesus, if you would, escorted him to paradise. Now, as we begin to put the pieces of the puzzle together in Ephesians chapter four, verses eight and nine, that it tells us that what happened, that before Jesus ascended into heaven, first he descended into the lower parts of the earth and he led captivity captive. In other words, before the cross, before he made atonement for our sins, the ones who were believers were presently being held in Abraham's bosom, such as Lazarus here. They were in this waiting room. And he would then die for their sins, and he would lead them up to heaven as he would go, and he descended before he ascended. He would give that message that this is what you've been waiting for. I come and died for your sins once and for all. That, that um, the sacrifice has been made. The work has been done. For you ladies have been studying the book of Hebrews on Thursday mornings. You know that in the book of Hebrews, that that term is used by the author of Hebrews, that he died once and for all. He died once and for all. Because you see, the animal sacrifices were a kofar. They only covered sin until the Lamb of God came along and died for our sins once and for all. And so as he would present his blood to the heavenly tabernacle accepted by the father now that waiting room that holding room that was nice that Abraham and those of faith were there that as they were before the cross held there but when Jesus came along and said this is what you've been waiting for I died for your sins that part of Hades is now empty and keep this in mind again to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord So when a believer today on this side of the cross breathes their last, they immediately go to be with the Lord in heaven. And that's where we will be together for all eternity in heaven, in the new heaven, new Jerusalem that will come after the millennium reign of Jesus Christ. All because Jesus paid the price. He made the sacrifice. To be absent from the body is to be with the Lord. So here is this this. this, Rich man, he's yelling across to Father Abraham. I see Lazarus over there. Hey, I see him over there in Abraham's bosom. I see the beggar, the one that was outside of my gate, hoping to get crumbs from my table. Could you send him here and have him dip his finger in the cool water and touch my tongue? Because I am tormented in this flame. Again, if an unbeliever dies today, they go to this place of torment until after the millennium reign where we've already discussed that they will stand at the great white throne judgment, the final judgment of the unbelievers cast into Gehenna, the lake of fire, also referred to as outer darkness. Now, maybe you might have some who might say to you, and I pray that nobody says this that is here. That, oh, so what if I go to hell? No big deal. All my friends are going. We're going to have one great big party. There's going to be a big party down in hell. And when I stand before God, I got a few things that I'm going to say to him. Kind of like they're going to tell God off. Philippians chapter 2 says that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And those of us who are believers, we have done that. We bowed the knee that is in belief. We confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. But at the great white throne judgment, that if those unbelievers that are resurrected, they will be forced to confess that he is Lord and bow the knee. You see, there's going to be none of this nonsense of I'm going to tell God off. And we know that eternity in hell is real, the lake of fire, Gehenna, outer darkness. Can you imagine here in this place, this place of torment, dip your finger in cool water and touch my tongue, being thirsty, being thirsty all the time for eternity? And then outer darkness, it speaks of of eternal loneliness and isolation. There's going to be no party there. This is very sobering. So the rich man wants Lazarus to cross over, but Abraham said no. We also know that the Bible doesn't speak of purgatory. I grew up in the Catholic faith where I remember my, my grandparents and other relatives talking about purgatory. And if you go to purgatory, you can get prayed out or if enough candles are lit, nowhere in scripture does it talk about purgatory. So, as we continue reading, the request of this rich man continues here. Verse 27 Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send him to my father's house. For I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham said to him, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. So please allow Lazarus here to, to go to my brothers and let him testify of this place of torment. I find it interesting. Again, the Pharisees are listening in on this, aren't they? Verse 14 of the chapter. And what happens a couple weeks after this story, as Jesus is real close to going to the cross, that we have recorded for us in John chapter 11, that in that chapter, what takes place? It's the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. Not this Lazarus of chapter 16, but Lazarus in Bethany, the brother of Mary and Martha, and you recall in that story, uh, Lazarus and Mary and Martha, his sisters, they had a special relationship with Jesus. And Lazarus becomes sick. And so they send word to Jesus where he is over by the Jordan River. Hey, Lazarus is sick. Come quickly. And Jesus waited a couple days and then he came. And when he got there to Bethany, Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. And it was Mary and Martha. They said, oh, Only if you had been here, Lord, I know my brother would not have died. And Jesus said that I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he die, he shall live. I am the resurrection and life. And as Jesus would stand before that, that tomb, as they rolled away the stone to the tomb, he would cry out, Lazarus, come forth. He had to say Lazarus because if there was others that were buried in that, that cemetery in those, those tombs, they would all come forth. So he had to say specifically, Lazarus, come forth. And he comes forth. absolutely amazing after four days of being dead. And we know that as he came forth, you move into John chapter 12, that the religious leaders hearing of this mighty miracle, that they were so hardened in their hearts, they wanted to kill Jesus, and they wanted to kill Lazarus, because the Sadducees, those religious leaders, they didn't believe in a resurrection. So Lazarus was bad theology for them. And they want Jesus dead. They want Lazarus dead. There's Lazarus in Bethany, you know, and he's sitting at the table and says, all these people came to look at Lazarus, the one who had been dead. They were absolutely amazed. There were those who believed. And by the way, that before you came to Christ, you were spiritually dead. And as the people came to check out Lazarus, he's sitting at the table with Jesus. He's laughing. He's eating. He's talking. And they're sitting there going, Wow. This man was dead and now he's alive. And as you come to Christ and you're a new creature in Christ, as you are born again by the spirit of God, people are going to check you out. They're going to see the reality of Jesus Christ, what he has done with you and in you and saving you and making you new. And I pray that as people watch you in your life, they're thinking, wow, you're different There was a deadness that was in you, but now you seem alive. And I know for me, when I came to Christ, I felt alive for the very first time. So those religious leaders, they they, they knew a miracle had taken place. Uh, They weren't saying, oh, that's a fairy tale that Lazarus rose from the grave, or he really wasn't dead, or they made it up. No, they knew something had happened, but yet they were still hardened in their hearts. Tell Lazarus to go to my brothers. No, he can't come to you. And he's not going to go to your brothers. They have the law and the prophets. In other words, they have the Word of God. And the rich man wasn't in a place of torment because he was rich, because he did not believe the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. You see, there's a lot more that we could probably talk about here, but as we wrap it up this morning, this is what we can take home with us today. In the context of this chapter, there is a future. And as the pastor of this church, I always want to place eternity before you. Because life is short. And every single one of us are rushing towards eternity. And the Lord is coming back. And so we need to keep things in eternity's perspective because we can get so caught up in the here and now and living for today. And so much of the message in the church today is for the temporary, for the here and now, what's in it for me right now, when we need to remember that we are to be good stewards of what the Lord has given to us and only what we do for Christ, that's what's going to last. To remember that there's rewards and there's crowns to be given for what we have done in serving him to be a good steward of just the oracles of God of our time of our ministry to others to give truth that this world is going to end And give the truth of the gospel. The only hope that is in this world. That Jesus Christ is alive. And he rose from the grave. And that he is our living hope. Our blessed hope. That we would stand firm on that truth. Because the world will come against us. But people need to know. That Jesus Christ. Is the one who died for us. No one else did. He's the one that rose from the grave. No one else. He is your salvation. And for us to know this, that as we read this story here, what I pray for you, for me, for this church is that we would have a heart for the lost. Because hell is real. And it is eternal. And we should look at others in a way that we're weeping when we know that they're lost. We should be praying for them. I hope that we don't look at others with contempt. No, they're going to go to hell. You know, it would break our hearts because there is a place of torment and outer darkness in the lake of fire. And that when we see people, and all of us have people that are linked to us in our lives, family members and coworkers and old friends and neighbors that do not know Jesus Christ, that we would be committed to pray for them. That we would say, Lord, Open up their hearts, take the blindness away, soften their hearts, and may I have opportunity to share with them the gospel that has the power for salvation. And be weeping over the lost. And to be praying every day how it is, Lord, that you can lead me to share the good news of the gospel with others. Again, that we wouldn't just be so focused on ourselves and on the temporary, but on eternity desiring to give the good news that there is hope that comes through Jesus Christ. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this text that's before us. There's probably so much that we could talk more about, but we do know this, that eternity is real. And there is a place of torment. There's also heaven that awaits the believer that has come to Jesus Christ. And Lord, I just pray if there is anyone here or in the coffee shop or listening uh, on live stream or later on the radio, that you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. You've never come in faith to him personally. You see, you're not going to be saved by belonging to a church or hearing a Bible study or you think, well, I belong to a Christian family. You can't base it on your parents' faith the faith of your spouse. Have you come in faith. Trusting in Jesus Christ for salvation. Because he's made a way. The only way. For you to be forgiven. And have eternal life with him. Relationship with the father. He proved all that he did. By rising from the grave. He's the son of God. The one that is eternal. king to this place for you specifically because he loves you. Will you give your life to him? It's coming in faith alone, recognizing that you're a sinner in need of the Savior Jesus. And you can pray right where you are because the Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Call on him right now, sincerely in your heart. That Jesus, I come to you and ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I have sinned, and I believe you died for me on that cross, shed your blood for forgiveness of sin, and you rose from a grave, and you are alive, and you're knocking on the door of my heart. I open the door of my heart to you for you to sit upon the throne of my life as Lord and Savior. Help me to know you. Help me to walk with you. I thank you for this new beginning. Thank you for saving me. I thank you for making me alive spiritually. Lord, I thank you for the promise that is given to me of heaven. And if you made that decision this morning, if you're here as we close the service, Pastor John's up front here. Tell him the decision that you made. We want to bless you. We want to give you a Bible. If you're listening on live stream or on the radio, give us a call at the church. Tell us the decision you made so we can encourage you and bless you in any way that we can. And for all of us that are believers, Lord, you have commissioned us to take the gospel out, to serve others, that they may see the reality of Jesus in us. So help us to do that, to be good stewards of what has been entrusted to us, the oracles of God, the gifts and talents you've given to us, our time, and Lord, that we would be the wise and faithful servants serving our master. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for this morning, the work that you've done in this place. Take everyone home safely. May we take you home with us. And this week being a light to others, praying for those that we know that aren't saved and continue to lift them up in prayer and look for the opportunities to share the good news of the gospel, that is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. Thank you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and all of God's people said,